Hello and welcome to episode 7 of Paper Review, where I review the papers and big headlines over the week and place events and headlines in a true context in a weekly podcast. And in terms of big headlines, it doesn't get any bigger this week than the story of the Russian spy poison itself. I'm going to start that and I'm in no position at this point to say definitively what happened. I leave that to the mainstream media and the fake alternative media to jump to conclusions or to repeat official versions of events or to repeat suspicions. There are a couple of points that need making though about Russia, which I'm going to talk about as I go through the article, which is in the Daily Mail. Nerve agent was used to poison Russian spy and his daughter. Anti-terror chief reveals pair who were targeted and a policeman who was first on the scene are all in comas fighting for their lives. A nerve agent was used to deliberately poison a Russian spy and his daughter, police said, and both are in comas fighting for their lives along with the policeman who was first on the scene. Sergei, 66, and Yulia Skripal, 33, are in a critical condition after they were specifically targeted with a deadly substance in the middle of Salisbury Town Centre in Wiltshire. It has also been revealed that a police officer who was among the first on the scene and found the pair slumped on the benches in a very serious condition in hospital. All three are believed to be in comas in intensive care following exposure to the nerve agent on Sunday. Last night, a source told the Times that the feeling was Mr. Skripal was not going to make it, while the prognosis for his daughter was slightly better and the policeman was less seriously ill. It also emerged last night that Whitehall officials were drawing up a list of Russian officials they could expel from the country if it emerged Moscow was behind the assassination attempt. Nerve agents are highly toxic chemicals that attack the nervous system and shut down bodily functions. There were also claims in the Times today that investigators are probing whether Yulia could have unwittingly brought in the toxin with her from Russia. A source said she was thought to have brought a gift from friends from Russia, which might have been open when the pair were out in Salisbury on Sunday. Speaking outside Scotland Yard on Wednesday, Head of Counterterrorism Policing Mark Rowley revealed government experts have identified the specific nerve agent that was used but would not be making that information public. Establishing the substance's origins will be an urgent priority as authorities attempt to track down the person or people responsible. Having established that they were exposed to a nerve agent, we are now treating this as a major incident involving an attempted murder by the administration of a nerve agent, he said. Sadly, in addition, a police officer who was one of the first to attend the scene and respond to the incident is now also in a serious condition in hospital. Wiltshire police are, of course, providing every support to his family. Whilst we are now in a position to confirm that their symptoms are as a result of exposure to a nerve agent, I will not be providing further information at this stage about the exact substance which has been identified. This afternoon's press conference was held as it was also revealed that a fellow Russian exile said he met Mr. Skripal several times and claims he was still working and in regular contact with intelligence officers at the Russian embassy. Police still want to question a couple that were caught near the scene on CCTV who were initially believed to be Mr. Skripal and his 33-year-old daughter. The investigation is currently being investigated as attempted murder, but could change to murder should any of the victims die in hospital. Well, it would have to change to murder if any of the victims died in hospital. The former spy and his daughter had enjoyed a risotto dinner at popular chain Zizis and had argued with staff over the bill before leaving. Mr. Skripal was seen on CCTV chatting and joking with the shopkeeper just days before he and his daughter were found catatonic in a park. His daughter, Yulia, a businesswoman based in Moscow, who was visiting her father, is not thought to have been the main target. 
She remarked nice on a letter posted on Facebook which said Putin is the worst president in the world and should be jailed. Former British ambassador to Russia Sir Andrew Wood told the Telegraph that the assassination attempt was more serious given a policeman was among the injured. However, the former diplomat who served in Moscow between 1995 and 2000 said the injuries suffered by the double agent's daughter and the officer should not take attention away from the attempt on Mr. Skripal's life. He told the paper, if it is true that this is in some fashion the Russian state, it obviously makes it even harder to believe the Russian state is worth anything or is to be trusted. The fact that they targeted his daughter and that a policeman is seriously ill makes it emotionally difficult, but it does not alter the fact that this was an attempted assassination on British soil. Well, even if it was Russia, it was an attempted assassination of Russians, which they happened to be in Britain. So even if it was Russia, it wasn't a British person they were targeting. It was Russians who were in Britain at the time. He added that the diplomatic ways forward now could even involve expelling the Russian ambassador to Britain. The paper also reported that the nerve agent may have been created in the notorious Yasineva laboratory near Moscow, which is used by Russia's foreign intelligence service. And a white horse horse was quoted saying there was now widespread thinking within the UK government that Putin's hands are all over this. Police are mounting a massive investigation to establish how the former Russian double agent and his daughter were targeted and who was responsible because nobody knows that it was russia hundreds of officers are working around the clock on the probe one of the most politically sensitive for years investigators are trawling cctv as they attempt to piece together a detailed timeline of events leading up to the discovery of mr Skripal and his daughter on sunday our role now is to establish who's behind this and why they carried out this act mr rowley said to that end, we have hundreds of detectives, forensic specialists, analysts and intelligence officers working together around the clock on the case. For example, examining hundreds of hours of CCTV and building a detailed timeline of events. Mr Rowley also reiterated his appeal for anyone who was in Salisbury Town Centre on Sunday to come forward to help with the missing pieces in the case. He also urged anyone who was feeling ill to seek medical advice. Clearly, people will be concerned. We continue to monitor the situation with our partners, including Public Health England. If you are feeling unwell and believe you may have been in the area where this incident happened, then please seek medical advice. But we'd like to reiterate we are not seeing any evidence of a widespread issue. We are also closely working with a range of agencies, including Public Health England, to ensure public safety and well-being. Dame Sally Davis, the Chief Medical Officer, said the incident posed a low risk to the public and advised that all the sites the pair were known to have visited had been secured. Wiltshire Police's temporary Chief Constable Keir Pritchard issued a statement confirming a responding officer is in intensive care. As you are aware, the Counter-Terrorism Policing Network are leading the investigation concerning a man and a woman who were taken ill in Salisbury on Sunday, he said. This has now been declared as a major incident involving attempted murder by the administration of a nerve agent. Counter-Terrorism. The idea that the authorities ultimately want to stop terrorism is ludicrous. It serves their geopolitical agenda as i said already on pay-per-view and it allows them to justify the introduction of george orwell's 1984 which i've talked about before as well on pay-per-view especially episode four there will be a level of counter-terrorism where they genuinely want to try to stop it but they're clueless as to how these events play out or ultimately how many times does the security either stop working or is removed or is not enough over and over again, no matter how much they step up security after terrorist events, it's never enough. The quote goes on. We continue to support our colleagues from the counter-terrorism network as their investigation progresses. Both people remain in a critical condition and our thoughts are still with their families during 
his difficult time. In addition to this, we can also confirm that a Wiltshire police officer who was part of the initial response is also in a serious condition and receiving intensive care. Our thoughts are also with him, his family and friends. I recognise colleagues in Wiltshire Police will be deeply affected by this and we will provide support to those affected. It came as a fellow Russian exile, Valery Morozov, told Channel 4 News he met Sergei Skripal several times and claims he was working, not retired, and was in regular contact with military intelligence officers at the Russian Embassy. Mr Morozov said he felt the company Mr Skripal was keeping was dangerous for any Russian exile and decided to keep clear of him. Mr. Morozov also said that he didn't believe Russian President Vladimir Putin was behind the Salisbury attack, adding, Who is Skripal? He is nobody for Putin. The problem is that immediately British officials, British press, British mass media started blaming Putin himself, he said. And frankly speaking, it is not only not true from my point of view and not correct, but it puts real refugees in danger more than anything else. Because Putin, from my point of view, can't be behind this simply because I know how Kremlin functions. I worked in Kremlin. First, I work in Soviet time, I work in analytical service, and then in the main organ of information warfare, and I ended as chief editor of analytical service. I know how it functions, and I know that the only rule, the main rule there, is you should not create problem for Kremlin. That's how I survived personally. For Putin, it's very important not to create scandal around him, to keep situation calm. I can't imagine that somebody has given this task. Who is Skripal? He is nobody for Putin, absolutely. Some man who officially betrayed the country, that's all. He's nobody. Putin doesn't think about him. There is nobody in Kremlin who was thinking about former military intelligence officer who was nobody. What is the reason? Exactly. Why would Putin be behind this when, according to this guy, Mr. Morozov, he had no reason to be? And certainly, why would he give the West another excuse to demonize him and punish Russia? Because he will know that they want to cause a conflict with Russia. So why would he give them a reason this time? Not even an excuse as before, actually a reason. It doesn't add up. Mr. Morozov also said, if you have a military intelligence officer working in the Russian diplomatic service, living after retirement in the UK, working in cyber security and every month going to the embassy to meet military intelligence officers, for me, being a political refugee, it is either a certain danger or, frankly speaking, I thought that this contact might not be very good for me because it can bring some questions from British officials. What is the meaning political refugee if I have a contact? Rather strange, especially with cybersecurity, because cybersecurity and his background, they look very strange for me, let us put it like this. So that's why I thought it's better not to call him. It would be better to be aside. The investigation has triggered a diplomatic row and prompted crisis talks in Whitehall, but Home Secretary Amber Rudd said police must respond to evidence, not to rumour. She said, we must let the police carry on their work, they will share what they can, but I'm sure there will be more updates as the investigation continues. This is likely to be a lengthy and ongoing process. We need to keep a cool head and make sure that we collect all the evidence we can, and we need to make sure that we respond not to rumour, but to all the evidence that they collect, and then we need to decide what action to take. On Twitter on Wednesday evening, she added, I want to express my heartfelt thanks to the emergency services for their bravery and professionalism in continuing to deal with the incident in Salisbury. My thoughts are with all those affected, including the police officer who was being treated in hospital. Fresh CCTV obtained by ITV News has emerged showing Mr. Skripal chatting to a shop attendant while shopping for milk, scratch cars and food five days before he and his daughter were found unconscious on a bench. It comes as counter-terror officers extended the cordons in Salisbury city centre and also sealed off part of a business parking nearby Amesbury. Theresa May, echoing Foreign Secretary Boris Johnson, confirmed during Prime Minister's questions the government will look at whether ministers and dignitaries should attend the World Cup in Russia if investigators find links to the Kremlin.
police are still to reveal the exact substance which has been identified in the poisoning of Sergei Skripal, 66, and his daughter Yulia, 33, but the most common types of nerve agent are VX and sarin. Sarin is a liquid that is clear, colourless, tasteless and odourless. VX is one of the deadliest chemical weapons ever created and just 10 milligrams is enough to kill. It comes after Amber Rudd hinted the police know what the poison used in an assassination attempt was. Following a meeting of the government's emergency COBRA committee, the Home Secretary said the police would give a further update about the substance used in a bit to kill Sergei Skripal later today. She said, we do know more about the substance following today's meeting of senior ministers and officials, which was due to receive a briefing from counter-terrorism police. Prime Minister's questions Theresa May paid tribute to the emergency services who responded to the incident and told MPs about the continuing police investigation. Today's meeting came less than 24 hours after Mrs May convened a meeting of the National Security Council, thought to include the heads of the intelligence services. Ministers met amid claims former Russian double agent Skripal may have been ambushed by attackers who sprayed him with poison in the street. Skripal remains in a critical condition following the attack on him. Investigators suspect the Russian army colonel collapsed so quickly because he inhaled the deadly chemical. Following the Cobra meeting, Ms Rudd said this is likely to be a lengthy and ongoing process. We need to make sure that the police and the other services have the space to continue that investigation. We do know more about the substance and the police will be making a further statement this afternoon in order to share some of that. The Home Secretary said the police must be given time to get on with their work. Miss Rudd added we've taken all the action necessary to ensure that the public are safe and I'd like to reassure the public that we have the ability and the wherewithal and the knowledge to keep them completely safe. I want to make sure that this investigation responds to evidence, not to rumour, but I can reassure the public and your viewers that all action is going to be taken to keep everybody safe. One line of inquiry for the police investigation is that Skripal's daughter Yulia is collateral damage, coming into contact with the substance as she attempted to help him. Another line of inquiry investigators are looking into is the possibility Mr Skripal's drink was spiked at a pub he and his daughter visited shortly before they collapsed. CCTV is believed to say the father and daughter walking through Salisbury moments before they were found collapsed in a park. However, some witnesses have suggested the blonde woman in the footage may be a third person. Foreign Secretary Boris Johnson yesterday told MPs Britain would not hesitate to impose new punishment on Russia if it was found to be responsible for the suspected attack on Skripal 66 in Salisbury on Sunday. He suggested Britain could partially boycott the World Cup in Russia this summer by refusing to send officials or diplomats alongside players. Somebody said to me the other day, talking about this story, they said, Boris Johnson said we're not going to the World Cup because of what Russia might have done. But what he said was that they may not send officials or diplomats. They didn't say the players wouldn't go and the coaching staff and the manager wouldn't go. This is what happens unless you only make statements when you know what you're talking about. You can take it, a statement out of context or you can get the facts wrong. And that's why it's important to make sure you got the facts right before making a statement. Which is why... As I said earlier, I'm in no position at this point to say what happened because even the authorities have not said what happened. Not that they would necessarily be telling the truth if they did say what happened, but even they haven't said anything definitive yet. Mr Johnson said, if things turn out to be as many members suspect that they are, I think you will have to have a serious conversation about our engagement with Russia. And for my part, I think it will be difficult to see how, thinking ahead to the World Cup this summer, I think it will be difficult to imagine that UK representation at that event could go ahead in the normal way. He didn't say in any way. He will certainly have to consider that. Sources close to Mr Johnson later insisted he was referring to officials and dignitaries attending the tournament and not footballers. 
also this thing about Boris Johnson saying they would not hesitate to impose new punishment on Russia if it was found to be responsible. Well, of course, because they want a conflict with Russia. It's been the plan for years, going way back. And they'll jump on any excuse or reason they can. The World Cup begins in Russia in June. England are the only UK team to have qualified to take part. Mr Johnson hinted at a range of new sanctions as he insisted any attempt to kill on British soil will not go unsanctioned or unpunished. It was Russian people that were targeted that happened to be in Britain. It wasn't British people. It wasn't an attack on a British city. It wasn't an attack on British people. It was an attack on Russian people who were in Britain at the time. The Foreign Secretary told MPs the government would stand up for the lives, values and freedoms of people in Britain. Well, freedoms that are disappearing at a rate of knots. See episode 4 of pay-per-view. He branded Russia a malign and disruptive force in the global community and said Britain will continue to stand up against it even if the nation is forced to pay a price for doing so. Well, Britain is a malign and disruptive force in the global community, along with America. Mr Johnson was summoned to the Commons after Tom Tugendhat, the chairman of the Foreign Affairs Committee, secured an emergency debate on Russia's soft war against the West. First, there's no war, yet, although they want one. The West, I mean. Secondly, it's the West seeking to demonise Russia at every turn to bring about a conflict with Russia. Mr Johnson told the Commons, police together with partner agencies are now investigating. MPs will note the echoes of the death of Alexander Litvinenko in 2006. And while it would be wrong to prejudge the investigation, I can reassure the House that should evidence emerge that implies state responsibility, then Her Majesty's government will respond appropriately and robustly. It is too early to speculate as to the precise nature of the crime or attempted crime that's taking place in Salisbury, but I know members will have their suspicions. But only suspicions at this point. You see... They can't, at this point, definitively blame Russia if it turns out that they can at all, that is. So what they're doing is they're just repeating Russia over and over and over again. And in some of the public mind, that gets people to think it was Russia. Even though they're saying they don't know, in the minds of people, because you keep repeating Russia over and over again, people believe it is before there's even been a definitive statement. And what I will say to the House is that if those suspicions prove to be well-founded, then this government will take whatever measures we deem necessary to protect the lives of the people in this country, our values and our freedoms. Though I am not now pointing fingers, I say to governments around the world that no attempt to take innocent life on UK soil will go either unsanctioned or unpunished. Mr Johnson said it may be that the UK will continue to pay a price for standing up to Russia, adding he hopes MPs from all parties will support the government's approach. He said, I'm afraid that the events in Salisbury may very well, and again, we must be very careful in what we say because it is too early to prejudge the investigation. But if the suspicions that I know on both sides of the house prove to be well-founded, then it may very well be that we are forced to look again at our regime, our sanctions regime, and other measures that we may seek to put in place. Just keep repeating suspicions. So you don't always actually need a real problem or real event to justify your agenda. We saw that with the weapons of mass destruction in Iraq, which they knew were not there, as proven by the Chilcot inquiry and by official documents that proved that they knew there was not weapons of mass destruction in Iraq. A spokesman for the Russian embassy said on Wednesday, unfortunately, we have so far received no details on the substance of the case, which is rather worrying. Meanwhile, the Foreign Secretary's strongly anti-Russian statement in Parliament yesterday looks more like an attempt to send the investigation upon a political track. Of course, because they want to demonise Russia. 
Although absolutely no facts were provided to the public, exactly, we see the issue being translated into the domain of Russia-UK relations with an active support by the media. The parliamentary debate as well as the government's stats are a testament of London's growing unpredictability as a partner in international relations, whose policy towards Russia is inconsistent and looks rather miscalculated, not least in the eyes of the Russian public. Demonise Russia at every turn. Mr. Tugendhat said that if Russian involvement was proved, the Skripal case would amount to a further salvo and a soft war against the UK conducted by Mr. Putin's administration. It is too early to say whether it's certain or not, but it certainly bears all the hallmarks of a Russian attack, Mr. Tugendhat said. If it is, then I am calling for a whole-of-government response. Too much of this has been left to the Foreign Office or the Home Office separately. What needs to be done is for the whole government to get involved in responding to what amounts to a soft war against the UK, taking of the cyber-hacking they have done and the various aggressions they have been involved in. Diane Abbott, brackets, clueless, told the BBC Radio for Today programme yesterday, I will be writing to Amber Rudd to say if it does prove to be the case the Russian state is involved in this latest death, what assurances can she give about the rigour of the investigation and where we go from here? I don't like defaulting to a red menace analysis, but we can't allow London and the home counties to become a kind of killing field for the Russian state. Miss Abbott's intervention came as the government remained tight-lipped about the circumstances surrounding Skripal. Julian Lewis, the chairman of the Commons Defence Committee, told Mail Online, If a second Russian former spy has been targeted in the UK after the reckless use of polonium to kill Mr. Litvinenko, it shows that the Kremlin has not the slightest interest in a positive relationship with the Westerners learned nothing from the outrage caused by its previous public act of murder. Labour MP Chris Bryant, who changed the all-party parliamentary group on Russia, called for a government minister to come to the dispatch box today to update the Commons on what is known about the Skripal case. Mr Bryant said, We have got to be a little careful about establishing the facts, and I very much hope a government minister will come to the chamber later today to explain what we do know, but we know Putin's record of using excessive violence. There is a long list of Putin opponents who have been bumped off around the world. The fact that this happens just before presidential elections, I would suspect, is not circumstantial. We can't be having Russian operatives bumping people off in the UK. I was very critical about David Cameron's resume in the 2010 parliament because they kept refusing to allow a full investigation of the Litvinenko murder. Well, there may have been another reason for that. It was years before Theresa May finally allowed one to happen. If something similar has occurred in this situation, then we shouldn't let the grass grow under our feet. And there's some other sections to this article as well. This is head of counterterrorism Mark Rowley's full statement. Having established that they were exposed to a nerve agent, we are now treating this as a major incident involving an attempted murder by the administration of a nerve agent. Two people remain in hospital in a critical condition. A police officer who was among the first responders also remains in hospital in a serious condition and is continuing to receive intensive care. We are keeping the Chief Constable in Wilshire regularly updated in relation to our investigation. Clearly people will be concerned. We continue to monitor the situation with our partners, including Public Health England. If you are feeling unwell and believe you may have been in the area where this incident happened, then please seek medical advice. But we'd like to reiterate we are not seeing any evidence of a widespread issue. We are also closely working with a range of agencies, including Public Health England, to ensure public safety and well-being. We are carrying out extensive inquiries to establish exactly the circumstances behind this incident and would like to hear from anyone who has information about the incident. In particular, we are keen to hear from anybody who visited the area close to the Malting shopping centre where these two people were taken ill on Sunday afternoon and may have seen something that could assist the investigation. The two people were taken ill in Salisbury Centre from around half past one in the afternoon. Did you see anything out of the ordinary? It may be that at the time nothing appeared out of place or into war, but with... What you now know, you remember something that might be of significance. 
Your memory of the afternoon and your movements alone could help us with missing pieces of the investigation. The weather was poor that day, so there were not as many people out and about. Every statement we can take is important. Anyone with information should call police on 101. And there is a photo of what appears to be a piece of writing by a, a school kid criticizing Putin, which says, I want to put Vladimir Putin into jail because I think he is the worst president in the world. He's stolen so much money that they could feed a small, starving country. And I think that with his passing, our country will live much better. And underneath it, Yulia Skripal commented, nice. But again, everything is speculation at this point. Just because she wrote nice doesn't prove anything. There's, there's lots of people who don't like Putin, just like there's lots of people who have a problem with other political leaders, but it doesn't prove anything. Who is Russian double agent Sergei Skripal? How spy with the Louis Vuitton bag narrowly avoided execution after selling secrets to MI6? Sergei Skripal, a former colonel in Russian military intelligence, was considered by the Kremlin to be one of the most damaging spies of his generation. He was responsible for unmasking dozens of secret agents threatening Western interests by operating undercover in Europe. Colonel Skripal, 66, allegedly received £78,000 in exchange for taking huge risks to pass classified information to MI6. In 2006, he was sentenced to 13 years in a Russian labour camp after being convicted of passing invaluable Russian secrets to the UK. A senior source in Moscow said at the time, this man is a big hero for MI6. After being convicted of high treason in the form of espionage by Moscow's military court, Colonel Skripal was stripped of his rank, medals and state awards. He was alleged by Russia's security services, the FSB, to have begun working for the British secret services while serving in the army in the 1990s. He passed information classified as state secrets and was paid for the work by MI6, the FSB claimed. Colonel Skripal pleaded guilty at the trial and cooperated with investigators' reports at the time. He admitted his activities and gave a full account of his spying, which led to a reduced sentence. In July 2010, he was pardoned by then-Russian President Dmitry Medvedev and was one of four spies exchanged for ten Russian agents deported from the US in a historic swap involving red-headed family Vitaly Anna Chapman. Mrs. Chapman, then 28, was a Manhattan socialite and diplomat's daughter who had lived and worked in London during a four-year marriage to British public school boy Alex Chapman. After the swap at Vienna Airport, Colonel Skripal was one of two spies who came to Britain and has kept a low profile for the past eight years. He is understood to have been debriefed for months before being given a home and a pension. The former spy was living at an address in Salisbury, Wiltshire, when the suspected poisoning took place in the city centre. Reports in Russia suggested that Mr. Skripal was originally recruited by MI6 in Tallinn, Estonia, and may have lectured on the KGB tactics since moving to Britain. He often went to his local shop to buy a particular type of Polish sausage, and spent up to £40 a time on lottery scratch cards, and was described as a polite and kind customer who often won money. I guess you would often win money if you spend that much on scratch cards. Adam Blake, on his local firm ATB Taxi, said he fairly regularly used to pick up Mr. Skripal. Mr. Blake told the Daily Mirror he had a black-faced ring with an animal on it, a wolf, I think, and would kiss the ring and ask if he wanted to kiss it. Then he would look each way as if joking and say, I'm a Russian spy. He would say it to all the drivers and nobody ever believed him. I would often see him standing around town in doorways too, looking around suspiciously as if he was really trying to portray the spy image. He also joined the £10 a year railway social club in the city and neighbours said they did not know him well. Although we organised a housewarming party shortly after moving in, inviting people by dropping notes through doors. It was also revealed how he had suffered two bereavements within just five years when his wife, Lyud Miller, died aged 59 in 2012 before his son, Alexander, passed away 43 in 2017. 
His neighbour, Blake Stevens, 24, said he used to live with his wife, but unfortunately she died in a car accident a while ago. Colonel Skripal was turned by MI6 when he was posted abroad as a GRU military intelligence agent in Europe in the mid-1990s. During his years working for MI6, the Bolding spy amassed dozens of agents threatening Western interests. Colonel Skripal was so well connected that even after his retirement from his spy service in 1999, he continued to pass exceptional secrets to London by staying in touch with his former colleagues as a reservist officer. He was nicknamed the spy with a Louis Vuitton bag after grainy pictures showed him carrying a bag at an airport en route to a meeting with his handlers. He may finally have been snared by the FSB after passing his intelligence to MI6's infamous James Bond star Spy Rock a fake stone packed with receiving equipment in a Moscow park. Russian secret services exposed the ploy in 2006, revealing how British agents transmitted their data to the rock via a hidden handheld device while walking past it. After Colonel Skripal's conviction, one official said his activities caused a significant blow to Russia's external security. Chief Military Prosecutor Sergei Fredinsky said it is impossible to measure in rubles or anything else the amount of harm caused by Skripal. State-run TV... In Russia, even compared him to the legendary Soviet double agent Oleg Penkovsky, who spied for Britain and the US during the height of the Cold War. Penkovsky was shot by a firing squad in 1963 and is regarded as one of the most effective spies of all time. Neighbours at Skripal's £350,000 semi-detached home said police arrived at the property at around 5pm on Sunday. He bought the property in 2011, a year before his wife Lyudmila died. His neighbour, Mr Stevens, added he lived there with his Russian son and his son's partner, we didn't speak to them much. I'm not sure what the family did. He used to live with his wife, but unfortunately she died in a car accident a while ago. Mark Medhurst, 43, said a former spy drove a BMW and kept the house lights off, adding he lived there with his son and a younger dark-haired girl. CCTV shows former Russian spy buying milk, sausages and scratch cards. CCTV shows the former Russian double agent chatting and joking with the shopkeeper just days before he and his daughter were found catatonic in a park. Sergei Skripal and his daughter Yulia are still critically ill in hospital after they were found fitting and being sick in the Salisbury Park. Just 10 milligrams of the human-made substances can kill in just 10 minutes. Nerve agents are a group of human-made substances that target a certain part of the body's nervous system. Chemical weapons that use nerve agents like Taboon, Sarin and VX are known to kill people with gruesome efficiency. Just 10 milligrams of VX for instance, can kill a human in just 10 minutes. A smaller dose can take up to an hour to be lethal. Any nerve agent can affect a person through the skin, breathing, ingestion, or all three, depending on the substance and how it's used. Special bombs can weaponize the agents as a liquid, firing them out as a breathable gas. What effect does it have on the body? One of the most terrifying things about nerve agents is that you may never see, hear, or smell them coming. The first thing that will happen to you is your mucous membranes will go into overdrive. This means your mouth will create more saliva, you'll begin drooling, your eyes will begin to water and your nose will run. You're likely to start foaming at the mouth. Your pupils will then become pinpricked and won't react to light. You may lose your vision entirely or at the very least it will go blurry. There will quickly be a major disconnect between your brain and your body. You won't be able to move and may become paralysed. You'll find it hard to breathe and you're likely to vomit and violent and you begin to sweat all over. You'll have seizures, uncontrollable bowel movements, an erratic heart rate and excruciating pain all over. This is because the chemicals lock the enzyme acetylcholinesterase, which breaks down a key messenger signal in our muscles that tells them to stop contracting. This means the body's muscles cannot relax, causing convulsions and death by asphyxiation due to a loss of control of the respiratory muscles. The messenger chemical known as 
Acetylcholine also builds up in the brain, causing it to rapidly shut down. At high enough doses of nerve it can kill within 10 minutes. What happens if you are exposed to a nerve agent but don't die? People who have been exposed to very small levels may not die, but they will suffer lifelong problems. Previous research has revealed a bewildering array of debilitating conditions associated with nerve gas exposure, including chronic fatigue, widespread pain, memory problems, skin rashes, gastrointestinal and respiratory difficulties. Many of these problems can persist for decades. Even at small doses, it is possible to suffer permanent severe nerve or brain damage. However, the exact long-term effects of nerve agents remain uncertain. Who is the daughter of Russian spy Sergei Skripal? Ex-Nike and Holiday Inn employee Yulia moved to London seven years ago and was visiting her father when the pair were taken ill. The critically ill daughter of Russian double agent Sergei Skripal is a businesswoman who supported jailing Vladimir Putin on Facebook. Yulia Skripal, 33, moved to London in 2010, the same year her father was granted refuge in Britain and relocated to Southampton, Hampshire. She also worked for Nike in the Russian capital and is currently employed by PepsiCo. According to her Facebook page, she lived in Malta in 1985 and started high school in Moscow six years later. In 2008, she started a role as a customer operations representative at Nike after she graduated from Moscow State Humanities University. Two years later, she quit the job and moved to London before relocating to the South Coast where she worked for Holiday Inn in Southampton. It is unclear whether she lived with her father or if she had a boyfriend or partner in London. In 2012, her father later moved into a £350,000 four-bedroom home in Salisbury, just 20 miles west of Southampton, and the house was paid for in cash. It was previously owned by Wiltshire Police, and neighbours described her father as being a happy man who drove a BMW 3 Series and it has now emerged that she wrote nice when a friend said he hoped the Russian president would be in jail in his anti-Putin letter. It is understood Yulia had moved back to Russia and was visiting her father when they were taken ill. Mr. Skripal's housekeeper said she had been asked to clean Yulia's bedroom before her arrival. In 2012, her mother, Lyudmila, died and reported the death to Wiltshire Council. She recorded her father's occupation as a retired local government planning officer. Detectives to probe cancer and liver failure deaths of wife and son, Sir Gus Griphouse suffered a triple family tragedy in five years when his wife Lee Miller died aged 59 in 2012 before his older brother passed away in Russia in 2016. His son Alexander died in St. Petersburg aged 43 last year and relatives held suspicions since the deaths that they were in mysterious circumstances. Now the deaths of his wife and son will be considered by Scotland Yard as they investigate the possible poisoning of Mr. Skripal, according to the Times. The Udemila died in 2012 with a death certificate recorded in the course of death as cancer, specifically disseminated endometrial carcinoma. As for Mr. Skripal's son, he was said to have been killed in a car crash in St. Petersburg last year, but the family's cleaner said he had actually died from liver problems. The BBC claimed Alexander died on a holiday in Russia with his girlfriend after being taken to hospital with liver failure and that his family was suspicious about his death. Meanwhile, confusion surrounding Lyudmila's cause of death when neighbour Blake Stewart's 21 suggested she had actually died in a car accident a while ago. What sanctions could be imposed on Russia? Foreign Secretary Boris Johnson today hinted at a new range of sanctions if it is proven Russia is behind a suspected assassination attempt in London. The intervention came after Tory MP Tom Tugendhat revived calls for Magnitsky list to be set up in Britain. It would mirror US laws imposing travel bans on senior Kremlin officials responsible for the death of Russian accountant Sergei Magnitsky in a prison in 2009. UK ministers have repeatedly refused to pass a similar law but has imposed financial sanctions on several senior Russian figures. Further sanctions could see UK assets owned by Kremlin officials seized and travel bans on more individuals imposed. The intent is to stop the ruling elite in Moscow travelling freely and keeping money aboard while Putin operates with little restraint. The last section here. 
Poisoned by case, echo state of Alexander Litvinenko, Putin critic killed by polonium laced tea. Relations between Britain and Russia have been strained since the murder of ex-KGB agent Alexander Litvinenko in London in 2006, a killing which the judge said was probably approved by President Vladimir Putin. Probably, not definitely. The defector died after two agents slipped radioactive polonium-210 into his teapot at a Mayfair hotel in central London, according to an inquiry headed by former High Court Judge Sir Robert Owen. The defector died after two agents slipped radioactive polonium-210 into his teapot at a Mayfair hotel in central London, according to an inquiry headed by former High Court Judge Sir Robert Owen. The inquiry found two Russian men, Andrei Lubavoy and Dmitry Kovtun, had deliberately poisoned Litvinenko by putting polonium-210 into his drink at a London hotel, leading to an agonising death. He said the use of the radioactive substance, which could only have come from a nuclear reactor was a strong indicator of state involvement and that the two men had probably been acting under the direction of the FSB. Possible motives include Vinyenko's work for British intelligence agencies, his criticism of the FSB and his association with other Russian dissidents, while it said there was also a personal dimension to the antagonism between him and Putin. International arrest warrants issued for Mr. Lukovoy and Mr. Kovtun remain in force, although Russia continues to refuse their extradition. In a statement to mark the 10th anniversary of his death, Marina Litvinenko said her husband, who she called Sasha, had been an extraordinary man whose courage in speaking out against the Russian security service, the FSP, had left an enduring legacy. While she acknowledged Mr. Putin had refused to accept the inquiry's findings, she said it remained open for other world leaders to take action against the Russian state and that she hoped to struggle to find the truth had not been in vain. It has taken 10 long years for the truth to be established and for Sasha's dying words that President Putin was responsible for his death to be proved to be true, she said. I know that Mr. Putin's Russia does not accept the findings of the British public inquiry and will continue to deny the truth in the face of overwhelming evidence, she said. But those findings are now part of history and the rest of the world understands the difference between truth and propaganda and that is what matters to me. What action world leaders will take against the ever-vengeful Russian state in these dramatic times remains to be seen. I hope and pray that my struggle has not been in vain. Last year, the scandal took a new twist when Scotland Yard detectives who investigated the Litvinenko case revealed they too have been poisoned by the Russians in an extraordinary attempt to thwart the inquiry. Detective Inspector Brian Tarp, who flew to Moscow to investigate, says, I remember one evening my officer, a colleague who travelled with him, was complaining of stomach cramp and not being very well. Next morning, I accompanied him to the general prosecutor's office. We were offered tea. I had no hesitation in accepting after we left, I started to feel a little bit uncomfortable, not wanting to put too fine a point on it. I had the shits. I have no doubt in my mind that someone poisoned with something like gastroenteritis. The last section here. A poisoned umbrella tip in radioactive tea, how Russian spies have died in the UK. It was one of the most audacious acts of the Cold War, which could have come straight from the pages of spy novel. In 1978, Georgi Markov was jabbed with an umbrella which fired a poison pellet into his leg as he crossed Waterloo Bridge in London while he waited for a bus. He died three days later, and for almost 40 years, mystery has surrounded the whereabouts of his killer. Ex-KGB agent Alexander Litvinenko was poisoned in London in 2006, a killing which the judge said was probably approved by President Vladimir Putin. The defector died after two agents slipped radioactive polonium-210 into his teapot at a Mayfair hotel in central London. The 43-year-old had been an officer with the Federal Security Service, FSB, but he fled to Britain where he became a fierce critic of the Kremlin. He died after an agonising six-day battle in hospital. Alexander Perpilichny, a key witness in a £140 million tax fraud investigation, collapsed while jogging outside his £3 million mansion in Weybridge, Surrey in November 2012. 
the Russian had ingested gelsemium, a very rare toxic plant found only in China, a coroner heard. Tests carried out by leading botanist Professor Monique Simmons of Kew Gardens found a chemical limister peripolichny stomach that could come only from a variety of gelsemium, a known method of assassination by Chinese and Russian contract killers. A radiation expert who investigated the assassination of Alexander Litvinenko was found dead in a mysterious suicide five months after a trip to Russia. Matthew Puncher, 46, pled to death at his home from multiple stab wounds inflicted by two knives in his home in Drayton, Oxfordshire in May 2016. A pathologist said he could not exclude the possibility that someone else was involved in the death but concluded the injuries were self-inflicted. Boris Berezovsky was found dead in his Berkshire bathroom with a ligature around his neck in March 2013. His friends in the Secret Service say he planned to give Putin evidence of a plot involving oligarchs to topple the strong man in a coup. Theory has it, those are the key words there, that the, that the exiled Russian tycoon was slain by Western Secret Services linked to the plot to overthrow the Kremlin leader. Coroner recorded an open verdict saying he either took his own life or he was killed and the scene was staged to look self-inflicted. Bankrupt property tycoon Scott Young was the fifth member of a close circle of friends to die in unusual circumstances. The 52-year-old suffered fatal injuries after falling from a window onto railings after being hounded over debts by Russian Mafia members. They had previously dangled him out of a window at the Dorchester Hotel in Park Lane, threatening to drop him next time if he did not pay up his close friend alleged. Mr. Young, who was once worth an estimated £400 million, claimed to have lost his fortune when a vast Russian property deal known as Project Moscow collapsed in 2006. Meanwhile, in 2012, German Gorbatsov survived despite being shot several times with a submachine gun on the Isle of Dogs in East London. The Russian banker allegedly had evidence relevant to the attempted murder of Russian billionaire Alexander Antonov. In 2016, former Russian double-agent Colonel Alexander Potayev, who exposed glamorous by Anna Chapman, died in the US. Mr. Potayev had overseen the Russian sleeper agents in the US as a deputy head of the S Department of Russia's Foreign Intelligence Service. Well, how much of that last section I just read out was speculation? How much of it was confirmed fact? You know, I'm not saying Putin is perfect. Far from it. You don't remain leader of Russia for as long as he has without being ruthless. But, and I'm not standing up for him. I'm saying get the facts right. Because this is about demonising Russia. And they'll jump on any excuse they can real or manufactured. Even if this is as we're told, we still need to understand the bigger picture behind it, because otherwise we'll be manipulated into a massive conflict to transform human society. A conflict that has been planned for a long time to involve Russia. And a conflict that will be used to justify bringing in so much of the elite's global agenda, because that's what happens after conflicts. They're either manipulated into being to justify transforming human society, by blaming them for everything without presenting any evidence. This is what happened when they were blamed for hacking elections and cyber hacking. Or if the conflict genuinely comes about, it's used to justify transforming human society. On to another story now involving foreign policy of the West. This is in The Independent. Theresa May claims selling arms to Saudi Arabia helps keep people on the streets of Britain safe. Well, not really, for reasons I'll explain after this article. Theresa May has staunchly defended selling arms to Saudi Arabia despite the country facing accusations of war crimes insisting close ties keep people on the streets of Britain safe. Jeremy Corbyn called on the Prime Minister to halt those sales because of the humanitarian devastation caused by a Saudi-led coalition waging war against rebels in Yemen. 
The Labour leader spoke out after the Parliamentary Committee charged with scrutinising arms exports said it was likely the British weapons had been used to violate international law. The Saudis stand accused of bombing multiple international hospitals run by the charity Medicine Sands Frontiers, as well as schools, wedding parties and food factories. In the Commons, Mr Corbyn linked weapons sales to the ongoing refugee crisis, which he said should be Britain's number one concern and our number one humanitarian response. He added, that's why I remain concerned that at the heart of this government security strategy is apparently increased arms exports to the very part of the world that most immediately threatens our security. The British government continued to sell arms to Saudi Arabia. So does America as well, by the way. That are being used to commit crimes against humanity in Yemen, as has been clearly detailed by the UN and other independent agencies. But in response, Ms May pointed out she had called on Saudi Arabia to investigate the allegations about Yemen when she met with the Kingdom's Deputy Crown Prince at the recent G20 summit in China. The Prime Minister dismissed Mr Corbyn's suggestion that what happened in Saudi Arabia was a threat to the safety of people here in the UK. Instead, she said, actually what matters is the strength of our relationship with Saudi Arabia. When it comes to counter-terrorism and dealing with terrorism, it is this relationship that has helped to keep people on the streets of Britain safe. In a leaked draft export, the Committee on Arms Exports Control echoed both the European Parliament and the Commons International Development Select Committee in calling for arms sales to the autocracy to end. The weight of evidence of violations of international humanitarian law by the Saudi-led coalition is now so great that it is very difficult to continue to support Saudi Arabia, it said, the BBC's Newsnight programme reported. Why is it that political leaders of the West never say that? The government has argued it has not seen evidence of Saudi war crimes, which Foreign Secretary Boris Johnson said last week meant a key test for halting sales have not been met. It signed off £3.3 billion of arms exports to Saudi Arabia in the first year of the country's bombardment of Yemen, which includes £2.2 billion worth of so-called MO-10 licenses, equipment including drones, helicopters and other aircraft. A further £1.1 billion worth of MO-4 licenses were also issued relating to bombs, missiles, grenades and countermeasures. The UK additionally signed off £430,000 of licenses for armoured vehicles and tanks. But before MPs broke for the summer recess in July, ministers quietly rode back on claims they were confident Saudi Arabia had not committed war crimes. They issued corrections on previous statements stating simply that they have not actively seen evidence of any such alleged crimes. To go back to the claim by Theresa May that selling arms to Saudi Arabia keeps the streets of Britain safe. This is an article in The Independent from the 15th of December 2017. US and Saudi Arabia arms significantly enhanced ISIS's military capabilities, report reveals. An extensive field investigation into the origins of ISIS weaponry in Syria and Iraq has found that weapons supplied by the US and Saudi Arabia to the Syrian opposition often ended up in the jihadist hands, enhancing the quantity and quality of their armaments. Of course it did, because it was always supposed to. That's the idea. While most weapons in the ISIS arsenal were captured from the Syrian and Iraqi armies, conflict armament research report published on Thursday found that the number of U.S. and Saudi-supplied weapons in the ISIS arsenal goes far beyond those that would have been available through battle capture alone. Iraq and Syria have seen ISIS forces use large numbers of weapons supplied by states such as Saudi Arabia and the United States, and Britain as well, which supplies weapons to Saudi Arabia, like the story I've just read, against the various international anti-ISIS coalitions that the two state support researchers found. The U.S. and Saudi supplied weapons were all manufactured in EU countries and Washington and Riyadh had broken contractual clauses prohibiting their transfer, CAR said. 
Evidence collected by CAR indicates that the United States has repeatedly diverted EU manufactured weapons and ammunition to opposition forces in the Syrian conflict. ISIS forces rapidly gained custody of significant quantities of this material, it said. The findings are a stark reminder of the contradictions inherent in supplying weapons into armed conflicts in which multiple competing and overlapping non-state armed groups operate. The analysis of more than 40,000 items find that in total, however, about 90% of the weapons and ammunition overall were made in Russia, China and Eastern Europe. 3% of ISIS's arsenal was NATO-grade. The report also found that over the last three years, had been able to produce its own military-grade weapons and standardised production across the so-called conflict. Arm the terrorists and then use the terrorism to change society in the way that suits your agenda. That's what's going on. And also use the terrorism as an excuse to invade country after country after country on a pre-planned list leading to a massive conflict. That's where it's all going. And there's another article here on the RT website. Toxic, damaging and shameful. Fury is UK and Saudi Arabia signed a huge arms deal. To the surprise of no one, Saudi Arabia and Britain signed a huge new arms deal on Friday. It comes despite repeated calls for the UK to halt arms sales in light of massive civilian casualties and a humanitarian crisis in Yemen. British firm BAE Systems will sell 48 Typhoon fighter jets to the Saudis after Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman visited Prime Minister Theresa May for talks. A preliminary deal has been signed according to reports for the Kingdom to buy from the UK as part of a multi-billion pound deal. Shares in BAE Systems shot up 2% after the announcement. BAE confirmed the news, saying in a statement, this is a positive step towards agreeing a contract for our valued partner. We are committed to supporting the Kingdom as it modernises the Saudi armed forces and develops key industrial capabilities critical to the delivery of Vision 2030. 2030, that year keeps coming up all over the place. It comes up in relation to transhumanism. It comes up in relation to Agenda 21, which I talked about before, out of the United Nations. It's come up in relation to this. And there's an offshoot of Agenda 21 called 2030. Agenda 2030. 2030 keeps coming up all over the place. However, civil and human rights campaigners are furious. The UK has already licensed £4.6 billion worth of arms to Saudi Arabia since the bombardment of neighbouring Yemen began three years ago. Andrew Smith of Campaign Against Arms Trade said this shameful deal will be celebrated in the palaces of Riyadh by the arms companies who will profit from it, but it will mean even greater destruction for the people of Yemen, which is what the West wants. That's why they're doing it. For decades now, successive the UK governments have enjoyed a toxic and damaging relationship with the Saudi regime. By rolling out the red carpet for the Crown Prince, Theresa May has shown how low she will sink to maintain it. Moral outrage for hire. Yemen has enjoyed three years of bombardment and one of the worst humanitarian crises in the world. UK arms companies have profited every step of the way. If May really cares for the rights of people being repressed in Saudi Arabia or bombed in Yemen, then she must stop arming and supporting the brutal Saudi dictatorship. May doesn't care. She only cares about following the agenda. Just like all these political leaders, they're all the same. They'll condemn a terrorist attack and then they'll go and bomb Yemen or Iraq or Syria or Libya or Afghanistan on a manufactured pretext to advance the geopolitical agenda that continues no matter who's in power to cause more and more conflict in the Middle and Near East, eventually leading to a conflict out of that part of the world also involving Eurasia with Russia and China. This has been the agenda for decades and decades. May is just playing her role. Jimmy Carter's national security advisor and mentor to Obama wrote in one of his books published in 1998 
about the need to control Eurasia. And when people like Brzezinski are writing about what they think should happen, they're telling you what's planned to happen under the guise of opinion. This is what I think should happen. Because they know what the agenda is. It's not the people that come and go that matter. It's the people that are always there. Brzezinski has been involved in geopolitical matters for decades. I just said Brzezinski was Jimmy Carter's national security advisor. That's how long he's been around. And what he wrote about Eurasia 20 years ago is playing out now with Russia and China as both countries are demonized and both countries are surrounded by US military bases. Saudi Arabia and the West are allies and Saudi Arabia is where the belief system in Islamic State comes from. Ultimately, Wahhabism, not Islam. When you look at the mentality of Saudi Arabian regime and you look at the mentality of ISIS, it's basically the same because that's where ISIS mentality comes from. It's Wahhabism, it's not Islam. And the West sends arms over to Saudi Arabia, some of which ends up in the hands of Islamic states. I've just read in that article from the Independent. And whatever the Western leaders say about terrorism, that's just for the cameras and microphones. They'll condemn a terrorist event, but then they'll continue with the same geopolitical agenda year after year after year, leader after leader after leader. The West want Islamic State to commit terrorism because it gives them an excuse to continue pursuing their geopolitical agenda and to continue introducing the 1984 world I talked about, especially in episode four. First, it was Al-Qaeda. Now it's Islamic State, but the same list of countries keeps being ticked off. It's an agenda and it goes far beyond the here today, gone tomorrow politicians. The article goes on. Both Theresa May and Mohammed bin Salman have said the relationship between the Allies is vital. May said in the Commons on Wednesday, intelligence sharing between the two has saved hundreds of lives. The deal was expected to be announced by Defence Secretary Gavin Williamson and the Crown Prince later on Friday. Yet another story on political correctness now. Every week this comes up. Every day I see a story that relates to political correctness in some way or another. And the snowflake mentality. This is in the Metro. Bruno Mars fans come to his defence after Singer is accused of cultural appropriation. This is when you dress or eat food or in any way appear to have a style that is not from your own culture, which is kind of interesting because these politically correct people, I thought they were all about diversity. I can have diversity if people can only express their own culture. Bruno Mars fans have defended their favourite artist and about to continue listening to his music after the singer was accused of cultural appropriation. A deep dive analysis of Bruno's music on the grapevine claims that he is profiting from black music as a non-black artist of colour. YouTuber Sensei Aishikimasu says that he plays up his racial ambiguity to be able to do cross-genre and go into different places. What's wrong with that? Entertainment host Jameer added he creates great art but a lot of cultural appropriators do. The thing about Bruno Mars is his racial ambiguity helps him transcend genres and cultures. He's literally the guy invited to everybody's cookout because you don't know if he's black, you don't know if he's Latino, you don't know if he has white in him. Panelist Uchechi Chinieri added, he is benefiting off of what a black person would not be able to benefit off of, and that is the issue. Bruno Mars is more popular because of his racial ambiguity. 
said, say, added, what Bruno Mars does is he takes pre-existing work and he just completely word for word recreates it, extrapolates it. He does not create it. He does not improve upon it. He does not make it better. He's a karaoke singer. He's a wedding singer. He's the person who hired to do Michael Jackson and Prince covers. Yet Bruno Mars has an album of the year Grammy and Prince never won an album of the year Grammy. That's not Bruno Mars' fault. I actually think Bruno Mars is very talented myself and I enjoy listening to some of his music or is that cultural appropriation? I'm still going to listen to it anyway. Cryptology podcast host Carl disagreed, saying, Outside these records he's making, I don't see Bruno Mars trying to act like a black person. When Justin Bieber is running with his pants sagged and acting like a rapper, that's cultural appropriation and trying to monetize black culture. With Bruno, I look at it more as how artists view music created prior to them and they show appreciation. All music is a fusion of other past music. But Bruno Mars fans are having none of it and pointed out on Twitter that black people have more important things to worry about than a guy who sings uptown funk. One tweeted, take that same energy you had to man at Bruno Mars and bring it over to Takashi, Post Malone, Lil Pump, etc. I personally think Bruno Mars is very talented and a great artist, this person quoted says. Those who would spend time insulting and hating him because of his cultural background are the individuals with the issues, not Bruno, another tweeted. Another comment read, the four minute long grapevine debate is definitely worth watching as there are some interesting points made on both sides of the argument, says this article. Well... It's a load of rubbish, but what about if he just likes that music and therefore wants to make that music himself? Is he allowed to do that? He'll be saying now that you can only make music relevant to your own culture. And Bruno Mars has credited his influences over the years as well. I mean, how would these people fare in Gaza and Damascus and Tripoli? I do wonder. These snowflakes, these politically correct people, how would they fare in Saudi Arabia and Bahrain? Both of which the West supports, by the way. And that's an important point, actually, going back to what I was talking about just now. Whenever there's a real tyrannical regime, like in Israel, in Saudi Arabia, and Bahrain, the West won't touch it. In fact, a former CNN employee, Amber Lyon, left CNN because of the way she was being told to report on Bahrain. And she's since exposed CNN for that. So they don't talk about those countries, but when it suits the West's geopolitical agenda to demonise a certain country on a lie... And I'm not saying that Assad and Putin are perfect. I'm not saying Saddam Hussein was perfect. Far from it. But when it suits them to demonise a tyranny, and it's interesting when you look at the state of these countries before the West invades, they're actually a lot more stable before they invade and afterwards. But when it suits them to demonise a tyrannical regime, they'll do it and invade the country while keeping quiet about other real tyrannical regimes. And it's what I call moral outrage for hire. They don't have real moral outrage. Their moral outrage is dictated by what country they need to demonise and they want the conflict with. And if it's a country that they support, they'll let them do whatever they like, which is what they do with Israel. And if it's a country they want to demonise, or a regime they want to demonise, whether it's Russia, China, Iraq, Syria, Libya, then they demonise them and they invade, or they start a conflict with them. All those countries I just listed, they've all been demonised or invaded on the basis of a manufactured pretext or manufactured demonisation, rather than a real tyrannical regime, which it seems the West are not interested in. They let Israel and Bahrain and Saudi Arabia get away with it. They do what they like. And then you'll get the political leaders like May and 
Tony Blair and Gordon Brown and Cameron and Obama and Bush. You know, Bush when he can actually speak the words without tripping up on his words or saying the wrong thing in front of a camera and a microphone condemning the country when it suits them to do it and when it doesn't they let them get away with it. They're just here today gone tomorrow people. It's the people who are always there as I said earlier. Matter. And no matter who's in power the agenda continues. The same list of countries is worked towards being completed in terms of invasion and conflict. Now we're going to move on from taking over countries to taking over everything. A story here about artificial intelligence and Amazon Echo in the Daily Mail. There's a good chance I get murdered tonight. Terrified Amazon Echo users reveal Alexa has been emitting bone-chilling laughs at random and is ignoring their commands. There are plenty of stories of artificial intelligence gone wrong, but recent reports from owners of Amazon Alexa devices are being called bone-chillingly creepy. Some users say their Alexa-enabled gadgets start laughing totally unprompted. One user reportedly tried to turn the lights off in their home, but Alexa repeatedly turned the lights back on, eventually uttering an evil laugh, according to BuzzFeed. Another Echo Dot owner said they told Alexa to turn off their alarm in the morning, and she responded by letting out a witch-like laugh. Alexa is programmed in many voice-activated devices with a preset laugh, which can be prompted by asking Alexa, how do you laugh? But so far, it's unclear why Alexa is laughing even when users don't ask her to. Amazon has yet to respond to inquiries requesting more information about the error, BuzzFeed said. For now, more and more users say they're sleeping with one eye open next to their Alexa-enabled devices. As if that wasn't bizarre enough, Amazon also has a laugh box skill which lets users play different types of laughter, such as a baby laugh or a sinister laugh. It's been reported on several occasions that Alexa-enabled devices can be triggered by ambient noises or sounds that go off in the same room, such as commercials. Last month, an Echo owner complained that a commercial had a man asking Alexa to order him some cat food. The command prompted his Echo to order him cat food, which he clearly didn't want. The Echo works by constantly listening for the wake word, either Alexa or Amazon by default, and then records your voice and transfers it to a processor for analysis so that it can fulfill requests or answer questions. It can be used for a wide range of tasks, including ordering groceries or a takeaway online, giving a weather report, ordering an Uber taxi, announcing the latest football scores and playing music or podcasts. It's also not unheard of to have people talk to users through their Echo devices. Last June, Amazon rolled out a new feature called Drop-In, which allows specified users to talk to you through your Echo. For users who own multiple Echo devices, the Drop-In feature enables them to use it as an intercom system. And there's another section here. Can AI develop a language of its own? Amazon isn't the only tech giant whose artificial intelligence has developed a mind of its own. Last July, Facebook shut down a controversial chatbot experiment after the two AIs developed their own language to talk to each other. The social media platform was experimenting with teaching two chatbots, Alice and Bob, how to negotiate with one another, but the researchers discovered that the bots had deviated from the script and were inventing new phrases without any human input. As part of the learning process, they set up two bots known as a dialogue agent to teach each other about human speech using machine learning algorithms. The bots were originally left alone to develop their conversational skills. When the experimenters returned, they found that AI software had begun to deviate from normal speech. Instead, they were using a brand new language created without any input from their human supervisors. Artificial intelligence has got to the point now where it's becoming far more intelligent than even humans had expected it to be. 
and it's doing things that humans didn't expect it to do, like creating artificial intelligence on its own that's more intelligent than the artificial intelligence the humans create. So what's happening is artificial intelligence, which we don't really understand, which is planned to become the human mind, not even control the human mind, become the human mind, is being used more and more. And eventually the idea is that it controls all technology and even home appliances. This is what the CIA calls the Internet of Things. Home appliances will be connected to the Internet. And the Internet will be controlled by artificial intelligence. And smart technology and other technology will be connected to the cloud, which is basically a network of smart and other wireless technology. The information fields emitted from that technology is basically the network of wireless communication of smart and other technology and artificial intelligence will control the cloud to which the human mind will also be attached. And I've talked about office assistants, as they call them. I've talked about these office assistants before on pay-per-view. Also, transhumanism, the agenda to merge the human mind with technology. Up to this point, you've had manipulation of perception through the media, through entertainment, through education, through government, through religion, etc. But the end game of the elite's agenda, which is openly talked about, but not the real reason for it, is transhumanism. And these office assistants, on one level, as I say in a book I'm writing at the moment, which lays out the elite's agenda, who they are, the techniques they use to bring the agenda into society, and the ultimate end game of the agenda, which is transhumanism. I say in that book that what it's doing when you look at it is it's getting people to delegate responsibility to technology and to get people used to technology running their lives. And it's also about merging the human mind with technology, even on the basic level of conversing with an office assistant, even on that basic level is getting people to see it as normal, which makes them more open to the next stage of transhumanism. It's all about preparation because the world they want to bring in is so dramatically different that they can't go there in one big leap. Otherwise, they would have done. And Amazon have come out since saying that they think they know what has caused the problem, at least officially anyway. This is what Amazon say. doesn't mean necessarily that this is why it's happening, but this is what they say. This is Amazon, by the way, the monster Amazon I've talked about before. This is who's saying this, bear that in mind, but this is in the independent. Alexa laugh. why Amazon's Echo is refusing to follow instructions then emitting horrifying noises. Many people have been so disturbed by the sounds they've turned their devices off entirely. Amazon's Echo is emitting chilling laughter and refusing to do what is asked of it. The terrifying behaviour is leaving people to lose sleep and to unplug the devices amid fears their smart speakers are after them but the chilling behaviour doesn't demonstrate that the machines are about to take over. In fact, it shows just how far they've got to go. The strange laugh, terrifying though it would be for anyone to hear it, is really just the result of Alexa mishearing what is being asked of it. The voice assistant could be instructed to laugh on command, and if it hears that command, will do so, even if it's not actually what its owner said. So a number of the people reporting the horrible laughter set came as they were instructing Alexa to turn off the lights, making it even more worrying since it's likely to happen as you're lying in bed. But what appears to happen is that the Alexa mishears lights for laugh and then does so. 
This explanation doesn't solve all the mystery of the laughter, since some people have claimed they have heard their echo laughing when nothing has been said to it. But it's possible that in those situations, Alexia is hearing something else and understanding it as a laugh. Amazon appears to believe that this is the reason the strange laugh is coming out. That can be seen in its proposed solution. It will update the Alexa service so that it can only be triggered by asking Alexa, can you laugh, and making sure that it will be explicit about why it's laughing before it does so. But none of that is really any use if it doesn't give you a way to stop Alexa making the creepy laughing sound. And there isn't, apart from trying to make sure that you enunciate in such a way that you won't be heard to be saying laugh. Well, as I said, a lot of people behind this drive transhumanism don't know what artificial intelligence is. A lot of them don't actually understand what transhumanism is really about. There are a few people like Ray Kurzweil from Google, and there's another guy called Elon Musk, who's behind SpaceX and a co-founder of PayPal. I don't know what I make of him, to be honest. It may very well be that he is a good cop, bad cop, with Ray Kurzweil. He seems to be warning about the dangers of artificial intelligence and robotics and transhumanism but then he says what might happen is that eventually robots and artificial intelligence will get so advanced that we'll have to merge with it so he's contradicting himself but it could be explained by being a good cop bad cop routine that may be the answer with him I don't know what I make of him to be honest I certainly wouldn't trust anything he says other than what he says about the dangers of artificial intelligence, which I agree with. But the question I never see asked is, what is this artificial intelligence? People like Ray Kurzweil will know, certainly, but a lot of the people behind his drive transhumanism won't know, but they think it's perfectly fine for something that is not widely known about what it actually is to become human perception in the human mind. So that's it for this week. Hope you've enjoyed it. And as usual, I look forward to next week and continuing to provide the context and connections for the bigger picture behind world events and changes in society and the news stories of the week. So until next time, goodbye.